page, I think it was 618 in the Bibles. 615, thank you. So if you're new to God's Word and you need a hand finding it, it's on page 615 in the black Bibles in the row. All right, who's got it memorized? How many people have it partly, kind of? All right, good. We got partly, kind of. Awesome. That's good. That means you're almost on the way there. That's good. Keep working on it. It's very, very, very good for your soul um, to have this memorized and to be able to feast on it when you're lying in bed at night and you can't fall asleep or when you wake up first thing in the morning to remind yourself that you can come to Christ and he has what you need. So I encourage you just to keep working on it. Well, Renee's going to come. No, Ruth's going to come. Ruth's going to come and Ruth's going to read um, all of the chapter to us. And then when she's done, all the chapters that begin with 55. <laughs> <laughs> so she's going to read that to us, and then... Uh... All right, Isaiah chapter 55. Thank you. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. All right, I just want to pray and ask the Spirit to help us. Holy Spirit, we turn to you right now and we ask you to help us um, because even just what we read tells us that your thoughts and your ways are millions of miles away from our thoughts and our ways. But in your kindness, you, you descended from heaven and you spanned the gap to earth all those miles in the person of Jesus and in your word, the living word and our written word that we have in front of us this morning so we can know your thoughts and so we can know your ways. And so, God, I'm sure that just in this room this morning, there are people that um, feel that you are still 92 million miles away and you're distant. And, God, they're feeling that way for a variety of reasons. And so I pray that even as I preach and as we look at your word this morning, that you would once again freshly span that gap so that everyone in this room feels your nearness. God, may, we, may, we, may it be as if you were just snuggling up next to us this morning. 
even as we go into your word. May you invade our hearts and comfort our souls and give us joy and peace. And whatever else my friends need in order to know your nearness this morning, I pray you would give that to them. May they just be very aware of your compassion and of your abundant pardon and of whatever things you want to tell them about their ways um, that maybe aren't lining up with your ways or thoughts they have that aren't lining up with your thoughts. Uh, Would you show us what those are this morning so that we can be living um, in the fullness of how you want us to live. And so be your spirit, comfort and encourage and help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So can I do a little review? Should we all do 10 jumping jacks first? Make sure we're awake. So let's, do a, let's just do a brief little review of the chapter. Let me see if I can remember how it, how it flows, what we've looked at so far. So God is in heaven. He's here too, but he's looking at us. And he sees us eating bread that's not bread. That's what the passage tells us. He sees us going after things, thinking, oh, this will satisfy me. And so we eat some of it, thinking it will satisfy, but eventually we realize it never does, and we find that we're empty inside, and we're needy. And he knows that we're tricked. Remember, we talked about the trickery of the world, how the world tries to give us things that look like fruit. They may at times taste like fruit, and it tricks us into eating stuff that we know that we shouldn't be eating. And God knows the reason we do this is because his ways and our ways are really, really far apart. And so he, he sees us being tricked by the world, and so he wants to get his thoughts and his ways into our minds and into our ways so that we'll stop eating bread that's not bread and we'll come to him for the life that he offers to us. And you guys remember the, the suitcase, all this stuff, and that's just a sampling of things that I think we can go to, that I can go to, to try to find life, to try to find joy, to try to find satisfaction, whether it's more sports or money or entertainment or health or vacations or... Um, clothing or my looks or exercise or whatever it is. And then we can pass those things on to our kids, right? We can hand our kids things that don't satisfy when they seem restless and need something to do. And so God doesn't want us to live that way. So what does he do? He gives us, he says, his word. So spirit comes, Jesus comes, his word comes, so we'll know his thoughts and we'll know his ways. So we don't need to be tricked anymore so that we can find the life that he wants us to find. So we can find real water, living water, we can find bread that's really bread, and then we can find the joy and satisfaction that he's always wanted us to do. And in order for that to happen, there's going to be a moment where there's going to need to be repentance. Remember we talked about forsaking those things, and sometimes they can be good things, but realizing I'm going to those things thinking it's going to satisfy me when it's not, we need to learn how to forsake those, and it says then return to the Lord. So we turn from those things and we turn to him. So I hope you've had a chance to do that this week. I know Elspeth and I have had a lot of conversations in the last two weeks, and especially this last week, over what does that look like? What are the things that, that we find our heart just wanting or, or thinking will really make us happy instead of going to God to find what we really need to make us happy? And then what does it look like for us to turn to those things and then turn to him? And so one of the things that Elspeth helped me with this week was realizing it wasn't just enough to put off some of the things that I needed to put off, but that God's after my heart. And so he wants my heart to want him. And it's not just enough to stop doing something, but I want to then put in its place him. Because I know if I don't put him in, his place, in the place, I know I'm just going to go to the next thing. And now I'm going to look to that to try to satisfy me. And that's just the habit that I live in. And so God is after our hearts. And so I hope this week you had a chance to spend some time just considering what God might want to show you about those things. So I love this chapter. I feel like my soul is being refreshed in a brand new way, and I'm grateful that God led us here 
And so we're going to finish uh, the middle section we haven't looked at yet this morning, and then in two weeks, we're going to look at the end of the chapter. But for this morning, in case you haven't noticed, we really haven't spent a lot of time in four and five. You guys notice that? We touched on it last week, but we really haven't camped out there. So this morning, all I want to do is look at verses four and five. So let me read four and five to you again, and then may, we're a smaller group again, I may ask you some questions and make this a tiny bit interactive before I jump into preaching it. So let's look at four and five. Here's what it says. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. All right, now look back at verse 4. What questions do you have when you look at verse 4? What, what questions do you have as you read verse 4? What would you be curious about? Good. Say it again, Rob. Who's him? So it says, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples. So the question we would ask, I'd ask is, Who's the him? So, who's the him? Okay, good. Why is it David? Because he's in the previous sentence. Okay, so let's read it and see if it makes sense. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Verse 3. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him. Okay, so does it seem to make sense that it's David? All right, what else does it say about the him? What do we learn about the him? What, what is he or what does he do or who is he? Three words. Witness. Commander, was David a witness? Do we know what a witness is? Do I have a witness? <laughs> right. He's a witness. The, another word for that could be testify. He testified about God. Did David testify about the character or presence of God in some ways? Yeah. Was David a leader? Yes. He led people. Was David a commander? Yes. How was he a commander? Yeah, armies. <laughs> Okay, good. So, so certainly, I, I would conclude this is talking about David. But I wonder if it's also talking about someone else. What else do we know about David? Good. He's in the line of Jesus. Now, why is that important? There's something else at the end of verse 3. Rob, back up a few more words since you nailed that one. Um, what else is in there that we know about David and God that would have to do with Jesus? Ah, there's a word there that starts with cov and ends in... Good. So if Jesus is in the line of David because of the covenant that God made him, what was the covenant God made with David? That there would be a guy in his line, in his line that would reign on the throne for how long? forever. And so that's why it says there's a covenant that he's going to make that's everlasting. So I want to propose for a moment, I'm going to tell you why more, that this is not just looking backwards to David, because David's been dead for 300 years, but that's looking forward to Jesus. It's looking forward to Christ. So I just want us to see that, that Jesus ultimately is going to fulfill this whole thing with 
David, um, with Jesus, through David's line. So Jesus, I think, there's a connection here. There's another connection I think we can make, and that is what else do we know about David as far as who did he actually represent to us in some way? I don't know how to ask the question. Okay, he, he represents a Messiah. He's a type of Christ, okay? How is David a type of Christ? How does David foreshadow Jesus? What are things that are true about David that were even greater in Christ? Shepherd, okay? David, I love that. The dude is a kid watching sheep, and now he's the king of Israel. I mean, how does that happen? Right? So he's a shepherd. What about Jesus? What, is, what do we know about Jesus? What did Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. Because most shepherds back then weren't good. They were sheep stealers most of the time. Yeah, so Jesus is the good shepherd. What, are, what other position did David hold that Jesus? Okay, king, right? Who's a better king, Jesus or David? Who's a better shepherd, Jesus or David? Good. What about... Kids, what did, what, did, what did David do with a rock and a sling? Who did he hit in the head? Who did he hit in the head? Finn, you know, come on. Goliath, good, he hit Goliath in the head. David was a warrior. What do we know about Jesus? What does it say in, in Revelation about Jesus? Yeah, he's the ultimate warrior, right? So there's these parallels between David and Jesus. David is really going to be a, a, a foreshadowing of Jesus when Jesus would one day come. Jesus is the better king. Now, I want to show you two verses that drive this point home for me that makes me say this is actually just as much pointing to Jesus as it is referring to David. So this is Revelation 1-4. This is Revelation 1-4. Grace to you. And peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So this is talking about Jesus and he's the king on his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Catch that? What is he? What do we see in verse 4? He's a witness. The firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So who is the witness? Jesus is the witness. Now it says, and the, so let's look at the top again. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler. So that word ruler some of you care about this information, some of you don't. In the Greek Old Testament, that word ruler is the exact same word that we have for leader in verse 4. So Jesus here is the witness and he's a leader. So it's the exact same words that are said of David are said of Jesus here in Revelation 1. And then if you remember Jesus' words in John 18, Jesus is face to face with Pilate and Pilate asks him, so you are the king? And Jesus answered, you say I'm a king, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came to the world to bear witness. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is a foreshadowing of Jesus, of who Jesus is. That Jesus came to show us, according to this verse, to witness to the truth. 
to show us what's true, to show us reality. So remember, if God's ways are higher than our ways, right? If his ways are higher as the heavens are the earth, we got to have somebody tell us what the ways are. And so Jesus comes to bear witness to the truth to show us what reality is about how we should think, how we should live, how we should feel. And that's why Jesus came. That's what makes him the best king, the best leader, and the best commander. We want him to lead us. We really want him to be our king. All right, so I need somebody to help me for a second. Children, is there a kid that wants to help me? Judy, you want to come help me? Jack, you want to come help me? Come here. I want you to help me. Can you teach me how to peel this banana? What do I do? How do I eat it? How do you eat a banana? Okay, so that's how you eat a banana? Are you sure? Okay, all right, hold on. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, wow, why would you make me eat that? Oh, now what do I do with it? What did I do? What's wrong with it? What should I do? You want to show me what to do? Show me what you do. Can you, you're not allergic, right? Oh, I eat that part? Are you sure I eat that part? I just eat that part? Where does it go? Right here? No. Up here? No. Here? No. Where, where do I put it? In my mouth. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you like this? Oh, no? Oh, that's horrible. What should I do now? Bite it. Oh, okay. Bite it. Oh, that's delicious. Thank you for your help. That was really good. I appreciate your help. Thank you. I would give it to you, but I just bit it. So maybe Abigail wants to. Yeah. Thank you for your help. So you are a good leader. You were. You helped me to not do things that you don't do with a banana because that would be really disgusting. Right? And so I think we need to realize that God sees us on earth often biting a banana with the peel on. And he realizes that's not how I made it to be. And he's a good leader. And so he leads us by showing us his ways so we don't do dumb things like eat banana peels or shove bananas in our ears or whatever it is that we shouldn't do with (laughs) bananas. How many of you kids have ever played Simon Says? You guys ever play Simon Says? Right? And what happens? Simon Says, and then what do you do? You try to do it, right? You're being led by Simon, whoever he is or her is. And then if he doesn't say Simon Says, what do you do? Right? You don't do it because you're being led. So Jesus is our leader and our commander. He leads us in good ways and he commands us to do good things. So now Mrs. Make is going to come and she's going to command you to do something and then she's going to lead you to do something if you want to do it. Okay, so if you consider yourself a child. All right, children. Stand up. We go. Abigail, you should go because there's some good stuff in the back happening. I mean, you're going to miss out on the good stuff. I think these are safe for everybody, but just to make sure, parents. (laughs) 
You love the crinkly sound? You want the banana? You can slice it up and put it between the vanilla wafers, dip it in some pudding. Come on. Does anybody have any pudding with them by any chance? Just random? Thought I'd ask. Yeah, I think you had some. We have more if anybody wants, if adults want some. All right. Silly illustration to make a point. Jesus is our leader and our commander. And he is eager to lead us in, our th- in thoughts that he wants us to have, in ways that he wants us to live. And they're always good. Do you understand that? I'm not saying they won't be hard at times. I'm not even saying at times it won't involve some degree of suffering. But if he's your leader and your commander, then he's always leading us in ways that are filled with compassion and abundant pardon, not with punishment and getting even. And we need to really embrace that. You need to embrace that. I need to embrace that. And it begs a question for me, how well are we doing at following Jesus as our leader? You know, if he's really in charge and he's my commander, then when he says something, I should respond, right? And if I know that he's good, then I should want to respond because I know that means he has something good in store for me. Again, it might be difficult, but he's got something good in store for me. So I think the question we want to ask ourselves, is Jesus your king? Is he your leader? Is he your commander? And to what degree is he your king, your leader, and your commander? And are you aware of any ways that he's leading you or commanding you that you currently don't want to follow? Are they there in your life? I know there's times I'm aware of them, and sometimes I'm aware of them, and I don't even fully understand how to turn from them, but I know they're there. I would guess, as long as we live on this earth, we'll always be aware, and there will always be ways we're not following him as our leader and our commander. The question is, are we aware of those, and are we, are we seeking to be set free from those things? So I encourage you this morning just to consider that. Because I think here, the encouragement, or the conclusion I draw from verse 4, is that it's not just David, but there's a better David, and he's a better king, he's a better leader, he's a better shepherd, he's a better ruler, he's a better witness. And so we want to follow Jesus with all of our hearts, and with all of our lives. All right, so there's verse 4. I think it is referring to Christ. Now we turn to verse 5. So let's read it again in context. Verse 4, Behold, I made him, David and Jesus, a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, verse 5, You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not run to you, that, that you do not know, shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. All right, so look at verse 5. What questions do you find yourself facing when you get to verse 5? Say it. Okay, who's the nation? Say it, Rob. Say it again. The first thing you said. The first thing you said. What nation? Okay, maybe it was the second thing you said then. You whispered the first thing and I didn't catch it and I caught the second thing. Okay, all right. 
What other questions do you have? Who's the nation? Ah, who's the you? Why does it go from him to you? So you should ask yourself the question, who are these nations and who are the yous? Why are the yous in there, right? I mean, behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Who's the you? We got to figure that out, right? Let's figure out who the you is. Is the you David? It doesn't seem like it. Why doesn't it seem like it's David? Why would you go, I'm not so sure it's David. Ah, why? Okay, he's gone. And what tense is the verb in? Shall, which is future. So if he's gone, he's not going to be able to fulfill something in the future. Okay, so good. So it's probably not David because of that. Why else do you think it might not be David? Okay, that, excellent. That seems like it might not be appropriate. This person's being glorified. And maybe another reason is, if it's David, why wouldn't you stick with the word him? Yeah, just continue with the him. Why change it to you all of a sudden? That's kind of wonky. Why, why insert, why change it? So I'm with you. I'm concluding, okay, I don't think this is David now. I think there's a change of people here. So we've got to figure out who are these people? Um, who is it referring to? And so here's where my mind goes when I read this. Who else is the word you referring to every other time in this chapter? Let's go back up to our scripture memory, or we can start in verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So who do you think the you could be referring to? God's people. It's referring specifically to who in this, in this poem? People who do what? Excellent. People who come to him responding for they don't want to eat fake bread anymore. So these are people who are, who are the yous that are, re, that are returning from their sin. They're turning from their ways and their thoughts and they're going to God. And he's saying, this is you. So I think these people here, behold, you seems to be coming back to it. Now, if you think about it this way with me, imagine if verse four is not there, how it flows. Verse three would end with, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Verse 5, behold, you shall call a nation. So verse 4, if you take it out, the flow makes perfect sense, doesn't it? That this is us. It's you. It's me. So really what's happening here, look at how it works with me. Verse 3 is, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you, just like I made one with David. And then verse 4 begins with, behold, I made him. In verse 5, it says, behold, you shall call. So the fulfillment or the trickling down effect of this everlasting covenant is behold for David, and then it's behold for you. Like the, the two outworkings of this covenant 
First, it's how, does that, how did that work with David? And then behold, look, here's how it works out with you. And if the you is people who respond to the call to come to him, then the you is us. So I think it's referring to us, to, to you and to me, because we're the ones that he made the everlasting covenant with. And it says that these people, if it's us, which I, I want to argue it is, we play a big role in this. What is the action that we do in verse 5? Calling. Calling people that we don't know. Now, the word, just so you, don't, just so you understand, it's the word nations. What, verses 4 and 5 are tied together by the idea of peoples and nation. Do you see that? Two times people is used in verse 4. Two times people is used in verse 5. And those words in the Hebrew really are, are they're different words, but either one, both of them can be phrased either way. So it could read peoples four times. It could mean nations four times. The basic point is it's people. Okay, so it's not like the word nation meaning nationality necessarily. It's just people. So we're calling. We are to call people that we do not know. Okay, so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're all going to take out our phones. We're going to begin. We're going to dial 1, 301, or 240, you pick. And then randomly, we're going to pick a number, and we're going to call them. Because that's what the verse says. Call people you do not know. We're not going to do that. I think the point of the verse is this. There are people that you are not familiar with yet. There are people that you don't know well. There's people that God is bringing into your life or that, or that you're just beginning to get relationship with. And he's saying to you and to me, call them. Call those nations that you do not know. And then at some point, what are these people going to do? They're going to run to us. So there's this thing happening where we're calling and people are running. We're calling and people are running. And so we're calling like David did by being, I think, a witness. We call and we bear witness to people that we don't know. And we're asking them, I think in context, we're asking them to join us in coming to God. We're inviting them, as God has invited us through Isaiah 55, we're inviting them to join us in the pursuit of God. And I think these people, if I keep the context of the chapter, these people are going to come running to us because they're going to realize at some point that they're eating bread that's not bread. They realize, I'm not satisfied. I'm not finding peace and joy. Something is not right with the way I'm thinking and in the way I'm living. And it says they will run to us so we're calling them, waiting for the time when they run to us. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, whether there's been people that you know that don't know Jesus yet, and perhaps you've been loving them and calling them and hanging out with them, and then there's a moment in their life when there's some sort of a challenge or a trial, and you find them running to you for help, because they need help, and that's why we're here, to help people, to lead them to the same well that we go to to find the water that leads to life. We want to help them find the same thing. And so it leads the question for me, what on earth would ever cause someone to run to me? And I think the answer is in the text. What causes people to run to me? Because, it says, of the Lord your God, it's because of him and of the Holy One of Israel. And what about him? What has he done? He is glorified who? 
us. He's glorified us. So the idea is that people see us, and when they do, God has glorified us, and so they run to us. Now, if you are like me, you are very uncomfortable. I think Jacob said it with this idea of, wait a minute, if that you is you and that's me, then I'm being glorified. Now, I don't know what your brain goes with that. I don't know whether you have God's thoughts about what it means, if this is true that you've been glorified or not. And so I want to walk you through that just for a moment here to help us see what that means. And the first thing I think from the text I would say is this, that the reason that I can say that God has glorified you is because he has made an everlasting covenant with you. It's because of what he has done that he is able to glorify you. And I think from the text, he glorifies us or he's glorified in us when we find ourselves satisfied eating from his bread and drinking his water. And so that's what causes this to happen. Now, I got to back up a step. I know we're getting heady here. Track along, because when I say he glorifies us, the word glorify is like jello, trying to pick it up, right? It's like you can't. It's hard. So let's talk about that for a second, and I'll try to connect some dots. I can't go back to Isaiah 6, but there's where we learn a lot about glory and holiness. And when we looked at that a few years ago, we saw that those work together and that we see that God is glorious. It's, it's, it's almost a synonym for him being holy, according to Isaiah 6. And what we concluded was what makes God holy or glorious is that he is supremely unique. He is one of a kind, limited edition. There's no one like him. That's what makes God holy. That's what makes God glorious. And so so we're going to separate in a minute that we're not glorious like he is because you and I are not infinitely unique, are we? (laughs) Or supremely unique or high and lifted up. But he is so I think when it says that God glorifies us, it means that we stand out as unique because we're not eating the bread that the world is eating. We're finding our satisfaction in him so that he is living in us and through us in a way that the world goes, what is up with you? They're seeing something in our lives that God has magnified, that God has glorified so that they will turn to him. Let me give you a New Testament. This helped me. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Here's what it says in Romans 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and here's the key phrase, to be conformed to the image of his son. So we're going to stop there. Everyone in this room that loves Jesus, you are being conformed to the image of his son. It happens at different rates at different times in our lives. Sometimes I feel like it's happening at rapid rate. And other times I feel like it's not happening at all, but it is. Okay, so he's working. He's conforming you to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among the many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So stop, circle the word glorified. Go up to conform to the image of his son, circle that. They're connected. You are glorified as you are conformed to the image of his son. Does that make sense? So as your life is conformed in the image of Christ, it says there's this glorification thing that happens in you. Or, to use the language of Isaiah 55, when your thoughts become his thoughts and your ways become his ways, God is glorified in you. He's magnified in you because you are in Christ. And that flows out of you and then people see that and they go, what is happening? And you say, God is happening. 
That's why I'm joyful right now. That's why I have peace right now. That's why I'm thankful right now when I shouldn't be. It's because Christ is in me. And what they're seeing is Christ glorified in me and Christ glorified through me. And so this explains the process of verses 6 to 10, which comes right next. This is the glorification process. We talked about it last week. The glorification, glorification process is us going, God, I don't have your thoughts or your ways and I want them. So here's my whatever of my life. Show me how to have your thoughts and your ways about it. And when we do, we start to live with his thoughts and live with his ways. And therefore, Christ is being glorified through our lives. Does that make sense? So I hope that helps you to see what's happening. This is really an amazing, you take some time in here. This is an amazing, it's almost like the whole Christian life is wrapped up in this one chapter of what it means to come to him and, and find abundant pardon and compassion and then to take off our, our wax fruit and stop eating bread that's not bread and start eating the right stuff. And then wham, life happens and things are radically changed with those around us, not just for us. So people should see us this way, and it says, then they will run to you. They will run to me because they want to know what we have that they do not have. They want to find out how to buy the bread that we have. So that's how this, that's how this unfolds. Now, I got one more observation to make because this, this bugs me. Why put that verse in the middle of the poem? I was like, why, why, not, why not save verse 5, let it be the punch at the end? Now you go and do the same for others. Do you see what I'm saying? Doesn't it seem like an interruption? It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's all this stuff about coming to him, and then there's this interruption about you calling people, and then it goes back in verse 6 to seeking God again. So in my reading, I'm like, this is an interruption. Like if I wrote a poem and, to my wife, and it was about loving her, and then I stopped in the middle and said something totally random, and then went back to talking about loving her again, she'd be like, well, what is that there for? Like that should kind of startle us a little bit. Like why is that there? So I thought about that this week. Why is it there? I think it's there because God wants us to pause in our journey and bring people along with us in the process. That's my hunch. It's, it's, I can't think of any other reason why the interruption would be there except that we're trying to come to him. We're inclining our ear. We get this everlasting covenant. We're secure in his love. And then he says, okay, now call other people to join you. And then he goes right back into this sanctification process. Does that make sense? It's like, don't wait until you think you're fully sanctified before you start calling people to join you in the process. It's like, come messed up. You're still thirsty. You're still hungry. You're figuring it out. You're learning how to hear him and walk with him and know his ways and his thoughts. And then grab other people and bring them with you in the process of your life. Otherwise, he would say it for the end as if to say, all right, now you've arrived. Now call others. And said, it's no. No, bring other people along with you in this process of your life. I think that's why it's there. To help us to realize that we play a part in calling other people into his ways. And so, I want to extend an invitation to us this morning. It's an invitation to me. And it's not just an invitation to come to him, but it's an invitation that is now extended through us to others that we know who are eating bread that's not bread. We bring glory to God when we let him be glorified through us by how we live so others can see him living through us. So you're invited to enjoy God and then to invite others to enjoy God 
with you. And so I was just thinking about this this week. And I don't know the people you hang out with during the week. I don't know the circles you run in. But pretty much every circle I run in during the week, when I'm just out and about, is almost always filled with complaining, very strong opinions, very strong opinions about all the things that are happening in the world. And everybody's opinions are obviously right. People have lots of thoughts about things that are happening in the world and feelings about things that are happening in the world. There seems to be, and maybe I just was blind to it before, but there seems to be an awful lot of people that are discouraged and depressed and don't even know what to do with it. And so I wonder if God is even using these verses just to remind us what we are able to bring to the party that others can't. I mean, we have grace to bring to those conversations. We have joy to bring to those conversations. We have understanding to bring to those conversations. And I'm not talking about correcting people. I'm not talking about agreeing with them or disagreeing with them. I'm talking about bringing to them a joyful peace that I think is shocking in our culture today. Because it's just not there. You greet someone with joyful peace and engage with them, it, it, it will rock them. They will be confused. Elspeth and I had an opportunity to do that with someone this week, and just random, just stood and engaged in a conversation, asked someone randomly how they were doing as we were passing in a store, and we had a 15-minute conversation when it was over. She was like, thank you so much for stopping and talking. And I, I, she seemed down when we got to the place we were, and just we were able to speak some encouragement to her and stuff, and just people need that. They need that. And we do that for hopefully engaging in long-term conversations and long-term relationships. But I just want us to have our, our, our minds open to this idea that, that God has called you so that you can play a part in calling others. And so, let's just get real practical. This coming week, you guys will be doing all kinds of things. And then specifically on Sunday, some of you will be having your own kind of Halloween parties at your houses. Some of us will be going to Frederick to have a party in Frederick. And I just want to make sure we understand, once again, why we're doing what we're doing and what it means for us to do what we're doing. The party is an excuse to be with people. Okay? I think sometimes we can get wrapped up, I can, with the details of the party and forget that the point of the party is the people. So the highlight of next Sunday will be when you are standing in the parking lot at El Shaddai, in the parking lot of the church, and you are engaging in someone in conversation, and you are able to talk with them, you're able to encourage them, you're able to say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? Listen, all, everything that's happening is happening for that moment. So whether you're painting pumpkins with someone or handing them a hot dog or whatever it is you're doing, realize that's the moment. <laughs> You understand that? That eye-to-eye moment, that's what we're doing it for. We're, we're creating a context so that we can talk to people that we otherwise would not get to talk to in hopes that it'll build something long-term for Living Hope Church so they can continue those relationships. Does that make sense? So we've got to keep that in mind that all the other details, although Ruth's doing a great job, we want them to fall in line. Ultimately, this is an excuse to be with people. 
Maybe some of you guys are going to pass out monster candy bars next week or have a fire pit at your house and a party as people are coming through for, for trick-or-treating. Listen, do, do it and do it well. Create an atmosphere in your front yard or in your driveway that people love and they want to be a part of. But know the moment that you're looking for is that moment when you can look somebody in the eye and just say, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a while. I noticed your kid was on crutches or what happened the other day when I saw engage, care for people. That, that's the moment that we're looking for. That's, that's our way of calling people. It's taking advantage of those moments that God gives us when we get to hang out with one another. So I think this, these verses, 4 and 5, are just simply another reminder to us. I think this is just Matthew 28, 19 and 20 all over again. I do. It's God just saying, come join me. Come join me. Come bring joy and grace to people that would otherwise not experience it so that you can lead them to me. Come build relations with people that otherwise would never know about me so that they will eventually come to me. It's just another call, another reminder to us of the mission that he's called us to right in the middle of your sanctification, right in the middle of your growing. Grab people and bring them along with you in the process. And so when a pastor's done saying that, he says, amen. <laughs> right? And people say, amen. amen. And we need help to do that, right? I need God's help to do that. And 90% of the time, the help that I need from God, I shared this a few weeks ago, is slowing down. It's just slowing down. If I wouldn't be in such a hurry to get from point A to point B, I would notice the people in between the two points. I would say, hey, how you doing? And it would take me 15 more minutes to get from point A to point B. Or 20 right? For me, that's, that's me. That's my, slow down, Matt. Stop being in such a hurry. Don't get your task. Like, slow down. So I don't know what it is for you, but there are people every day that we encounter that God wants us to call to him by loving them and being gracious. Make sense? All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a three-minute application moment, and what I want you to do is just to consider if you haven't already, we, we should be doing this in our community groups, in our, in our groups of three. One of the three application questions is, how, what are you doing in that next go step? In other words, what are you doing to, to, to love a, somebody that God's put in your life that just needs more, more Jesus in their life? So I just want to take a minute. Just, I want you to think through that. You can talk, talk to someone if you need to, your spouse, your kids. Just, what's my next step? What is your next step? Who, who are the people that you know that need encouragement, that need love, that, that are possibly eating bread that's not bread. And then what's your next step to love them and to call them to Christ? Does that make sense? All right, so two or three minutes. Just think, brainstorm, write down. You can follow the questions on the, on the screen. I think we have them. That broadens it out a little bit. And then we'll sing a song.